You're listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast with your host, Jessica Hawks, where we get honest about all things entrepreneurship, balancing life and business, and navigating the world in a digital age. Welcome back to another episode of The Digital State of Mind. We're nearing the end of this season, which is so wild. Another season under our belt. This is the fifth season, which is wild. We're going to be at 10 before you know it. Um, But yeah, I'm not going to give too much of an intro for this because we've got a lot to get to. This is the anonymous form slash hot takes episode. Um, We started this last season where I create an anonymous form and people can use it to vent or give a hot take or ask for advice, share a win, just really anything. And it's completely anonymous, which I think helps people feel more comfortable sometimes. And so I got an overwhelming amount of responses and there's a lot to get to. So (laughs) I may end up having to next week was supposed to be the closing episode, But I may end up having to do a part two of this because there were a lot of good things and I want to get to as many as I possibly can. So I'm going to do that in this episode. I'm going to try to keep the tangents and ranting and talking to a minimum outside of what we're focused on so that I can get to as many as I can. But yes, that is the plan. So without further ado, let's do it. So our first question is, how did you connect with your potential clients in the DMs? I have a lot of opened convos in my DMs with my dream clients, and they're not the icky ones like, how long have you been in business or something like that? They're based on basic human topics. My main question is, do they need time to take action and consider hiring me for my services or should I do something else? And I love this whole message because I think that you are totally on the right track with, you know, not <laughs> the icky questions like how long have you been in business? Because I think that what we have to start realizing is that people know who you are, right? Whenever you come into someone's DMs and you're a virtual assistant or a social media manager or a Pinterest manager, people know what you do. They are very familiar with that. At least most people are at this point in the online space. And What I want you to take away from what I'm saying in my response to this is that people love to buy, they hate to be sold to. It's a tale as old as time, and it truly is the truth. And whenever we are, you know, approaching DMs, something or, you know, approaching trying to get a potential client, I always, always, always tell my students in DCA, they're honestly probably tired of me hearing it, but I think it's so important to remember that DMs are for connecting, your content is for converting. So when you are in the DMs with someone, I really encourage you to solely focus on trying to build a friendship with them because that's what people, it really helps people to let their guard down and start to trust you and not feel like, oh, this person is only talking to me because they want me to hire them as their virtual assistant. I'm going to tell a story. I may have told it before on here. I don't think I have, but 
I, whenever I was a VA, I, there was this one photographer that I would talk to in the DMs all the time and it was never about anything business related. We, she, I like distinctly remember she would always post about making homemade bread on her stories and I would always reply to them because I was like, I really want to do this. I've always wanted to try to do this, but I don't know why I just never do it. And it was just silly conversations like that. And truthfully, I was never really expecting her to work with me. But around three to four months later, she reached out to me and was like, hey, I am in need of a Pinterest manager and you're the first person that I thought of. Why was I the first person that she thought of? Because we were consistently having friendly conversation in the DMs and I wasn't making her feel pressured to have to work with me or that I wanted an answer from her. And that's our biggest struggle as humans is that we don't like the unknown. So whenever we approach someone in the DMs, we want to know We want to be able to create the story for ourselves of, is this person going to work with me or are they not going to work with me? And it's really difficult, but you have to let go of that feeling and make peace with the fact that you're not most of the time going to find that out immediately. And you just kind of have to let the friendship bud and stop expecting something from people right when you enter the DMs because you can smell it from a mile away. When I can feel that someone is in my DMs just trying to get something from me or, you know, just trying to ask questions, not because they actually care, but because they just want to work with me and, you know, check off 10 minutes of engagement for the day that turns me off to them. But when someone is genuinely replying to my stories or like joking around with me, treating me like a friend would treat me in my DMs, that's what is super memorable to me. And those are the people that pop in my mind first when we're like, ooh, we need to hire someone to help us with this. So give it some time. You are planting seeds right now with these people. And you also kind of want to pay attention to what they're saying. When I'm talking about this, this doesn't mean that, you know, if they start talking about business or if they post on their stories about, um, well, let me backtrack. If they start talking about business, that doesn't mean you can't talk about business. If it feels natural to start talking about that, 100% do it. But you want to be proactive in a lot of ways. So keep an eye out on other things, right? On their stories. Did they make a post about struggling with hashtags or getting annoyed with the Instagram algorithm? That's your chance to hop in their DMs and send them a few voice notes, giving them some tips, no strings attached. That makes a huge impact on people. Are they on their stories talking about being burnt out because they have kids? This is your chance to be like, I could make a post about that because if they're struggling with it, chances are other business owners in their niche are also struggling with it. And whenever people have the opportunity to view your content from a very safe space, which is them observing what you're posting, the impact that you have on them is a lot greater. So that's why I say your content is for converting because that's what kind of slowly chips away at them and helps them realize like, yeah, I I do actually need help with that. Next question. I'm a high school sophomore and I was thinking of starting to be a virtual assistant, but I'm not sure where to start. I don't have access, any access to money. And it seems like starting an online business always requires money at some point, even when they say it's hundred percent free. It's a dream of mine to be financially free because of my family's history of financial struggles. I would appreciate any tips. Hopefully I will be able to achieve my dream this way. I love that. I love that you're already thinking of this in high school. That's so amazing. And it's also really kind and shows what a good person you are that you are you know wanting to be financially free because of your family's history and I'm sure potentially you know help them out so that's very admirable but um yeah so it is 100% possible to start for free 
what I will tell you though is that it's not super easy to start for free. Um, and it's kind of, it's it's a bit of a, the good thing about where we are at the, in the online space right now is that there are far more resources and accessible financial, accessibly, financially accessible <laughs> resources than there are when I first started. When I first started, there were really no like master classes or guides or things like that that really did give you a lot of information about starting as a VA. Um, it was mostly just much higher price point full like 12 week courses. So that's the good news about where we're at right now. So what I would do is I wouldn't go to something like Google and blogs for your foundational information about starting. I would find someone like me (laughs) who has successfully accomplished what you want to do. And then I would look at their free resources because that's going to really help you get a better understanding of how they specifically got to where they are. Because unfortunately, while Google and blogs and YouTube are great resources, a lot of the information that you find on there is either inaccurate or it's conflicting or it's really hard to put the pieces together. So what I would do, and I've had people you know, do this before and successfully start, keep in mind this is going to take more time but it will at least allow you to get the ball rolling with your business. And even if you spend an hour a day doing this, you're going to get so much further ahead. And within six months, you could have clients, potentially even less than that. So what I would do is I would start going through, let's just use me for an example, start going through my podcast and I would break things up into categories. So I would break things up into um like setting up your business. So the legal side of things, the finance side of things, um, registering your business, things like that. Break that up, setting up your Instagram, put those into one category and anything that you kind of note from the podcast or you know my TikToks or my Instagram lives, you have to start to categorize that, the things that you're hearing because if you don't, there's gonna be so much information that you're gonna get super overwhelmed and have no idea where to start which is why another reason why courses are really beneficial, but we're not talking about that right now. So break them up into categories, get a notebook. You could use Notion, you can use a Google document, whatever you want, break them into the foundational things. The ones I just mentioned, break them into the social media side of things. So content showing up on your stories, um, what to post reels, things like that break another section into finding clients. So how you find clients, engaging with clients, um, creating connections, what platforms to find clients on. I would break another section into mindset. That's going to be a really big one because that's going to be one of your biggest hurdles in the beginning. Um, I would say niche is also going to fall under the kind of foundational parts of your business. So start breaking things up and have a section, have a page or, you know, whatever for each of these categories. That way, while you're going through this free information, you have a way to actually kind of compartmentalize these things and start to build out an action plan versus writing down like a hundred random things and being like, so uh, basically just unable to move forward because you're overwhelmed with all of the information. So that's that's the route that I would take whenever you're starting out for free. And I mean, also there are free resources that are affordable, you know, and obviously affordability is very relevant to or relative to different people. Sorry, not relative. It's subjective. But 
I have, you know, a guide that really lays things out as far as your first steps and actionable steps. The fast track guide is $29, I think. And I, you know, run sales on it all the time. If you're actually listening to this episode right now um, and you've been wanting to get the guide, send me, shoot me a DM and put guide at the top of it and I will send you a special discount code for you to be able to get that cheaper or you'll be able to bundle up both of the guides if you want. Um, But, you know, it's going to be harder to start for free, I will say, but it's just, you have time or you have money, right? That you have one. I mean, sometimes you don't have either one, but you have more spare time than you have spare money most of the time when you're in this situation. So it's going to be a matter of just staying consistent. And like I said, dedicating 30 minutes an hour every single day, if you can to it, you can make a lot, a lot, a lot of progress just doing that. The biggest things whenever you're first starting are always going to be engagement, content, showing up on your stories. Those are the biggest things that move the needle forward for you in the beginning. And the great thing is if you could, if you can just get one or two clients and, you know, a lot of stuff you're going to be figuring out as you go and uh, you're going to be a little bit panicked because you're like, oh my God, this person booked a discovery call with me for like two days from now. I have to rush and try to figure out how to do a discovery call whenever you're doing it for free. You will figure it out. You will. So there's no reason to worry about things that haven't even happened yet. Um, But the good thing is if you can just get one or two clients, you're going to have some income coming in and then you can reinvest that back into something like a class that's, you know, more affordable or save up and, you know, sign up for a 12 week course that has a payment plan like DCA or something like that. So that's the route that I would take in this situation. A lot of it really comes down to in the beginning, especially just starting to familiarize yourself with the industry. Before I invested in a course, I was showing up to people's lives. I was stalking their Instagrams. I was just diving as much as I could into their content, looking at every single one of their highlights. And that alone really helped me to get familiar with this industry, which was a huge help when I was first starting. Okay, next question is from Rochelle. I see you, Rochelle. <laughs> um, she said, have you found out your hu- human, oh my God, your husband's human design? Has it affected the way you do daily routines and manage productivity? A projector, married to a projector over here, send help. <laughs> um, I actually, whenever I was looking at these questions beforehand, like, two weeks ago, I looked up my husband's. I'm a manifesting, wait, no, sorry, I'm a generator and he is a generator as well. I looked at his for the first time and no, we have not dug dug into this at all in terms of how it could help us, which we definitely, now that you said it, I'm like, wow, why did I never think to do that? But it just never occurred to me. Um, I actually paid to have like a human design reading. It was super in depth a while ago and I need to go back in my email and find it and look through it because I think relating human design to your life and to your business can be super helpful. Um, For anyone who is wondering or has never heard of human design, it's basically kind of like a reading of your body, I guess. Let me look up the actual definition. Okay, so it says... um, Human design offers a map or a manual that indicates how you're unique as a person and guides you in living in a manner that is sync in sync with that. Um, its proponents describe it as a holistic self-knowledge system. So, um, and you just need like your birth date and stuff like that for it. But um, yeah, we haven't looked into this. My husband and I's schedules are really different. So I feel like even, you know, 
like a year and a half into marriage, we are still figuring that out. And it's definitely difficult. He um, works outside of the house. And so, you know, Monday through Thursday, he's doing that. I'm obviously at home and working more. And it's definitely tricky, but we also don't have like kids or anything yet. So probably should get a better grip on that before that happens. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, I don't have much input to give here because we are... Uh, we haven't looked into it and we're both generators which based off of what you said a projector married to a projector send help maybe that's not a good thing um yeah me and my husband are both very headstrong and stubborn and we (laughs) butt heads at time in the at times in that way but we're also very very different from each other at the same time and kind of complementary in that way but yeah it's it's a tricky thing isn't it but yeah Unfortunately, I'm not much help here, but I want to learn more about this. You've uh, you've tickled my curiosity, Rochelle. <laughs> All right, next questions. I got a bunch of really random questions. I'm going to just name them out to you. How much wood can a woodchuck chuck? Uh, also, do you like potatoes? What's your favorite, favorite flavor, air? And did you know you can make a cookie in the microwave in 60 seconds? Also, are you allergic to tomatoes? I feel like I know who this was. <laughs> these pretty sure it was a dca student that was trolling me but um yeah i was like i looked through these and i was like dang we're really uh, coming in with the hard-hitting questions here <laughs> okay lucas says as a pinterest manager or social media manager what do i do if my client does not give me enough content to post photograph and content wise this is a tricky one because obviously you <laughs> you need content if you're in this situation um, as a Pinterest manager or social media manager. And it can be tricky if you're not local to them, because obviously if you're local to them, which, you know, some, a lot of social media managers or Pinterest managers do have local clients and remote clients, then if you're local, you can go and help them with that in person. But I would, this is something that I would address from the get-go. So immediately before you even officially start working together, I would let them know like, hey, you know, I want to make sure that you're able to get the best results possible from working with me. And in order for that to happen, we do have to work together in certain areas. For example, you know, making sure that I have enough content from you and that we're kind of following the content plan so that we're not just having to continue repurposing older content. So I would set the precedent from the beginning so that they're agreeing to that. And um, they're not just expecting you to come up with content from thin air because that's not something that you can always do. Um, If you're already working with someone and this is presenting itself as a problem, that's obviously a little bit different. So I would, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but honesty is always the best policy. Communication is the best thing that you can really um, use to your advantage with clients. I would have a conversation with them and let them know like, Hey, I, you know, feel like we've kind of been using older content or we've been lacking on fresh content and I feel like it's affecting um, analytics and our ability to really start to scale your revenue and bring in more clients. So what I would love to do is to for me to create, you know, a marketing strategy, content strategy for us for the next month or you could start with two weeks and then I can you know create exactly what I would need from you and you can do it a week at a time however you know you two want to figure that out on your own as client and service provider and you know that way we're both making sure that we're on top of things that we have new content and I can kind of ease some of that burden for you by telling you what I would need 
this is super helpful and that way you're kind of you're being honest with them about what you need from them and also sometimes it's just overwhelming for clients if they don't have an idea of what you need from them it's also sometimes hard for them to continue thinking of new ideas for content so having your aid with that and you kind of playing more of like the creative director slash strategist role in addition with actually implementing things could be a huge weight off of their shoulders um I remember for, you know, we, I work with my social media manager, Courtney, and, you know, with TikTok, I pretty much do everything with regarding in regards to that on my own, but she helps me come up with Instagram ideas. And while I'm, you know, writing 95% of the captions and filming the reels and everything, even just having her fresh perspective and helping her come up with ideas for the month with me is so helpful because whenever you're in your business, you can create content, you know, for days, but at a certain point, it gets kind of hard for you to have a fresh perspective on things. So having someone that's outside of it, looking at a bird, looking at it from a bird's eye view can be super helpful. And it gets me like more excited to make content. So what we usually do is, you know, we'll come up with rough content ideas for the whole month, about a week and a half before that actual month. So, you know, the week that you're listening to this episode is when we'll usually start planning out for the next month's content. Once we have those rough ideas, then we can start figuring out, okay, which one of these are reels, which ones are just pictures, which ones are graphics. And then week to week, I know what she needs from me, right? So I can go in and look at the week ahead. I usually do this the week before. So I'll usually do this on like a Wednesday or Thursday for the following week. I'll go in and see, okay, I need to write two, three captions. I need to film two reels. I need to choose a photo of me. She's going to create this graphic for me. And I have an idea of what she needs from me beforehand so that I'm not just kind of scrambling to throw random content at her and hope she knows what to do with it. So that's the route that I would take as far as this goes. Obviously, if you're local to them, then you could always offer to do that in person and help them create content. Or you could also kind of try to outsource and find someone local to them that you could bring on the team to help them create in-person content as well. But sometimes just the strat, like the, the creative brainstorming side of it is what they need help with more than anything to push them to actually implement and get the content to you. All right, next question says, I really want to start up my own workshop and have an idea for it, but I feel like with only a thousand followers, only seven to eight people are going to join. How do I push the value of it? Also, do you think retainer payments like DCA are going out of style recently? I heard it and wanted to get your opinion. So I'll answer that last question first. DCA is set up on um, a system where you can either pay in full or we have multiple payment plan options. And once you're finished paying for it, you are done with it and you still have access to all the information inside of it forever. Um, I don't think that's going out of style. I mean, that's a very, you know, common way of paying for something like a course that's been around for decades. So I certainly don't think that's going out of style. Obviously, people venture into things like memberships, etc. But um, DCA is not a membership style. You don't have to continue paying for it after you've paid for the program. So yeah, I certainly don't think that that's going out of style. I mean, there's not really many other ways that you could have an exchange of payment for something like a course outside of that, unless, like I said, it's a membership style, which has its pros and a lot of cons as well. So, um, but as far as the workshop, 
I'm always a big fan of doing a beta round of anything that you start. So I, and I would also start, I don't know what your idea is for this, but I would start working with some people one-on-one before you venture into this. So for example, before I actually started Digital Creatives Academy, I took on a couple of students who I was just coaching with me. And there, it wasn't a group program or anything like that. Um, I did strategy calls before that as well. So I kind of went from strategy calls to one-on-one coaching students to a very small beta round of Digital Creatives Academy. The benefit to doing this is with your strategy calls, you can start to kind of get an idea of what people need help with and what impact you can have in a short amount of time which is really helpful because you want to make sure that you're actually producing results for these students, right? Um, One-on-one coaching, which um, Sydney, who was on an episode this season, Sydney Kerr was my first one-on-one student ever, and she was booked out within like six weeks. So I was like, okay, I'm doing something right here. So you can use that to kind of build on because it's really difficult to sort of remember what it felt like to be a beginner in certain ways and what questions you had surrounding what you're teaching. So doing it in a more intimate setting, like one-on-one or a very small group of people really helps you start to build out like a killer curriculum. Also, it's really great because you can start to warm your audience up to the idea of you having something like a program because you have results from these one-on-one students or your strategy calls, etc., which is powerful. I mean, testimonials, student reviews, student results are basically the most powerful thing that you can have when you're launching anything. So I, you know, my first round of DCA, I say it was really small. I guess it wasn't really that small. I think we had around 17, 18 students and pretty much all of them just were absolutely amazing. So many became booked out. They've gone on to create multi six figure businesses, become graphic designers, be featured in Business Insider. They've accomplished so many amazing things. And so I was able to not only use that beta round to help me build out the modules for Digital Creatives Academy and figure out, okay, at what point do people have these questions? At what point are people struggling with mindset? Or at what point are people struggling with these different things? So that I could build a succinct curriculum that kind of took them through that process in a way that made sense and also made sure to address those questions they were having at certain points throughout their journey of starting a business. Um, And also, obviously, again, I had the results of those one-on-one students and the first group of, you know, DCA students to kind of propel me into DCA 2.0. And like I said, 17 students isn't a small group, but compared to at certain points when we had 60, 70 students in DCA, it was small. We don't take that many on anymore. We usually cap each round out at around 38 to 40 students, and that's really... um, That's a great number for us, but seven to eight people for your first round of a workshop would be amazing. I mean, there's a ton of people who only take, you know, at maximum 10 people into their programs at one time. So I don't think that there's anything. I mean, seven to eight people is definitely something to celebrate. And if you can help those people get really good results, then that's only going to propel you in the future because you do need those results to draw upon to really help people see the value in it. So Okay, next question. Someone asked, what happened to Bo, your white golden? Is he okay slash did I miss something? I actually talked in way depth about this. Um, I think it was on the season four 
or was it the season four opening episode or closing episode? I think it was one. I think it was the opening episode. Um, and I won't rehash the whole story because it would take a long time and it was a very emotional explanation, but we ended up rehoming Bo, um, in around September, October of last year before we moved into our new house. Um, long story short, it was just very, very difficult for me to train both of the dogs. Bo was a very, very difficult dog compared to Teddy. I mean, I loved him, but he was a very difficult dog. And it was getting to the point where I was having like breakdowns because <laughs> I was so overwhelmed being at home with them all day, trying to work, trying to record things, trying to train them, trying to, you know, make sure that they both got attention and were both able to go do things with me. It was just really, really difficult. So we rehomed him with a local couple who were, you know, worked part-time, lived on a golf course, went to the beach every day, played tennis all the time, that would be able to give him so much more attention and a much more fulfilling life. And he, it was like the best decision we could have made for him. He was so, so, so happy with them. Um, So he was with them for, this is kind of a new thing that just happened. A few weeks ago, I got a message from her um, letting me know that unfortunately Bo passed away, which was shocking. I was literally in shock. Um, He was just a few months over a year old and he was, you know, running on the golf course like they did with him every single night, just running around, getting energy out. And he passed away from a heart attack, which was very shocking. They are completely devastated. Um, obviously, I was devastated too, but I wasn't, I hadn't had him for that time. You know, they had spent so much time with him. And they, the vet said that it was just a complete completely crazy thing like just a freak accident basically and that there's nothing they could have done or anyone else they tried to revive him they you know rushed him to the vet but it was just too late they he passed away before they even got there um it's gonna make me cry talking about it it's so sad um I mean it's just absolutely wild to me I I know that he was so, so happy with them because they just gave him so much attention and love and time that, you know, I didn't have to give him during the day. And he always had someone with him, was always going to the beach and riding on the golf cart and going to the golf course and running around. And um, yeah, it's just so wild. I can't believe that that happened. I, this kind of like dark, I guess to say, but I am honestly like, I'm glad that we rehomed him with them in the sense that it was the best decision for him. But selfishly, I'm glad that, you know, we didn't have him when that happened because I think I would have um, been in a dark hole for a very, very long time. Um, but yeah, it's it's wild. I can't believe that happened. It's so sad. Not to bring like a dark cloud over this whole episode. And that was a very shocking, random thing to throw in there. But yeah, I don't know what caused it. I think they're still trying to find out more information and why that happened. I don't know if it was something genetic or, you know, if it was just something exclusive to him or what the deal was. I feel like you don't hear about that happening very often, especially with such a young dog. Um, but yeah, it's wild. And 
I can't even imagine how I would react if that happened to me. But I know I feel so bad. I know that they were just so devastated and loved him so much. And they had an older dog um, that they kind of assumed was going to pass away soon. And they said that Bo just brought like so much life into him. And it's just so crazy to think that Bo passed away before their older dog did. I just can't. It's just such a tough situation for them. So that is that. Um, Yeah, well, let's recover from that sad story, shall we? (laughs) Okay, we have Melissa next, who says, I'm in the lowest place I have ever been financially, having moved out at 19 out of desperation all the way from New York City to Nevada. My family slowly cut me off when I decided to leave. I got a job interview for a new barista job after having a nightmare of an experience working at Starbucks in the past. Ironically, I'm overflowing with joy. I hope things go better for everyone this April. Well, first off, I'm so sorry to hear about that with your family that I just I never understand how families can do something like that. It just makes zero sense to me. And I feel you. I've also had many struggles with family and it's it's just the worst, basically. Um, but I I love that you said you're overflowing with joy. I think that it's really I think that there's a lot of experiences with people where they start making decisions for themselves and it can feel like everything around you is not what you want it to be. You said you're in the lowest place financially, but you can also have the juxtaposition of feeling like, wow, I'm happier than I have ever been. And, you know, I love that you made that decision for yourself. I I would love to move to Nevada. I want to like move to Montana or something. (laughs) live in a cabin in the woods um but yeah I love that you are feeling so much happier and feeling like you've done something for yourself I you know also moved out of state at 19 and I I still feel like I'm 19 and I'm 26 now I feel so old um but I just want to kind of give you the encouragement of whenever I moved out at 19 it was so scary and you know none of my family is in South Carolina where I moved And it was one of the best decisions that I ever made for myself. If I hadn't moved away at 19, I wouldn't have grown into the person I am. I probably wouldn't have started my business. I wouldn't have met my husband. I wouldn't have experienced, I wouldn't have the house that I'm in now. I wouldn't have been able to build the life for myself that I have here. I wouldn't have met the, my best, best friends that will, I think, be forever friends to me. And So just know that making those scary decisions can lead you and can kind of be the domino effect that leads you in, or the butterfly effect, I guess, that leads you into some of the best times of your life. Because I felt the same way whenever I moved out. I was, you know, I started working at, that's when I started working at the chiropractic office at 19 and I was so broke. It was like comical. I mean, it's not comical, but looking back on it it's I mean I had so much you know by 22 I had $20,000 of debt um I couldn't afford to get a new car not a new car but like a new to me car I was like at one point putting my bills on a credit card working 50 to 55 hours a week living paycheck to paycheck I was truly like I had dropped out of college I was like wow is this just the rest of my life because it can feel like that like people are always like you have the rest of your life ahead of you and while that's true in the moment it doesn't feel like that it feels like oh my god what am i gonna do i have 70 more years of you know having to take care of myself and i gotta figure something out so 
yeah, I I love that you're, you know, in my space and I, I hope that you're kind of seeing all of the opportunities, especially online that are out there for you. And I'm excited to see where you go from here. Okay, next we have, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I think long captions on Instagram are dead. Most people either don't read them or skim for the answers they want, kind of like blogs, or would rather see a video of someone telling them the quick bullet points. Do you think long form written content is ineffective now? I don't think that long form content is ineffective if the person is interested in what you're saying and if you're saying it in an interesting way. Um, I think that you really have to focus a lot on storytelling if you're doing long form content or showing people, and I'm kind of uh, approaching this from like a coaching perspective, showing people what transformation can come if they just start. So a lot of my longer form contents are going to be more motivational and kind of explaining my story, how I got to where I am, what I'm able to do now that I started my business in hopes that other people will kind of see how much it can change their life. With that being said, it also depends on your niche. There are certain niches where you 100% don't have to do long form content. Like if you're a creator or brand designer, things like that, there are so many industries, photographer, where you certainly don't have to do long form uh, captions and you can kind of sprinkle them in here and there. But people are there for, let's say if you're a photographer, they're there for your photos, right? Um, so that's something to keep in mind as well. It does depend on your industry. But what I have been starting to do is kind of, switch up my long form captions and instead put those into a reel. So like stitching a video and kind of explaining my point versus putting that all into the captions because you're right. I mean, I will say for myself, I rarely scroll Instagram these days. It's it's very rare for me. Um, but whenever I do, I do love shorter captions, but I do still read the longer captions from creators that I really like, or if it's a kind of hot take, or it's an interesting caption, or if it's someone that I really respect and want to learn from, because I know I'm going to find value in it. So I think that it's important to look at what industry you're in, in this situation, and then also um, make sure that you have a balance of both. You, If you're posting a reel that's informative, and you're kind of speaking in it and getting your point across, you really don't have to do a longer caption to add to that. If you're doing a shorter reel, you can add more in the caption and elaborate there while also capturing their attention in the beginning with the actual video. So it's important to have a balance of both. Next question says, struggling to post... <clears throat> excuse me, struggling to start posting on my biz socials again, restarting my business. Engagement is wrecked. Still working with long-term clients and doing the work, but it's all been behind the scenes for about six months. How would you suggest restarting on socials? Anxiety is high because I've neglected my own socials for so long. Thanks. I feel you. This feeling sucks. And I'm going to give you, this is going to sound very crass, but no one cares. <laughs> And I mean that in the best way possible. Um, at the end of 2020, 2020 um, my business was booming and I was also going through a separation. So I was really dealing with some stuff behind the scenes. And I took around a month off of posting on Instagram, pretty much on my stories as well. It was like all I could do to just give my attention to my students. And in, in my head, I was like, oh my God, everybody's going to be like, why is she, why did she not post for this long? Nobody's going to care about me anymore. My business is going to go up in flames. I came back to social media, started posting as normal, didn't even address it. And 
everything was fine. Everything just resumed as if I had never left. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> there you go. Um, the thing is, we're looking at this from one lens, right? We're looking at this from our lens and we're hyper aware of the fact that we've been gone for this amount of time. Obviously, six months is longer than a month, but the concept is still the same. Um, we are looking at it from the lens of everyone's going to notice. Everyone's going to wonder what I've been doing. Everyone's going to think I'm weird if I don't explain it. People are going to notice that I've been gone. People are going to think I'm not a good business owner. And I'm going to tell you the process that I've gone through from a, as an observer when I see someone post when they haven't posted in a really long time. They make the post and I'm like, this literally happened to me like two days ago probably. Um, they make the post and most of the time they just kind of uh, start posting as normal and don't really even address that they've been gone. They make the post. I see the post. I'm like, huh, I feel like I haven't seen them in a while, actually. I click on their profile, look at their last post. This person, they hadn't posted in like a year, actually. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And then I like the post and go on about my day. I think nothing of it. And most other people don't think anything of it as well. So first, I just want to say that to you. Whether you want to come on and make a post kind of explaining where you've been is totally up to you. But truthfully, there's nothing wrong with just continuing to post as normal and just popping on your stories and being like, hey, it's been a while. I've been doing just a lot of client work behind the scenes. I've been, you know, busy with that. I've been busy with my life and was just really enjoying taking a break from social media. If you just kind of make it more lighthearted in that way, obviously you can go deeper and be more vulnerable if you want, if you have had things going on behind the scenes. But if you make it more lighthearted like that, people are going to be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, I know people who, like you, just kind of work behind the scenes with their clients and post like once a year, if that. So that's kind of the beauty of once you've built your business up to that point. I wouldn't necessarily encourage people to do that just from a, a coach's perspective. I would say, you know, continue posting frequently, even if you're booked out, because you always want to make sure that you kind of have that resource in your back pocket should something happen. But you're past that, right? You've you've taken a six-month break. It's okay. Your engagement is going to go back up. I would go at it from the perspective or the approach of kind of coming in swinging. So I would start your focus with a lot of reels, because that's going to help you get your engagement up the best way possible and the quickest way possible. Um, so you kind of want to recoup a little bit of that engagement and your audience hasn't been interacting with you. So it's going to be a little more difficult to, to bring that back up. So the best way to do it would be by utilizing something like reels to really help you get going with it. Um, because reels are the best way to get the most reach, the most bang for your buck versus just a a picture or a graphic, something like that. So I would come out swinging, incorporate a lot of reels into your content, show up on your stories as much as possible, create opportunities for your audience to engage with you on your stories, utilize the polls, utilize question boxes, just so that you can kind of get back to a net zero so that you can start building back up from there. But you're uh, you're probably overthinking this. In fact, you are overthinking this. And I hope that you don't take that in the wrong way. But we all do it. We all kind of think that the world revolves around us. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But we just tend to think that people are going to think so much more of certain things than they actually do. And we also tend to not give people the benefit of the doubt as much as we could. Um, 
we assume the worst, right? Or we assume that people are going to think the worst about us. And most of the time they're not. And if they are, that's probably not someone that you want in your circle anyway. But most business owners have gone through this. They've gone through burnout or just wanting to be away from freaking social media for a while. And they get it. Like they totally get that that is something that people need at times. So Please don't be too hard on yourself in terms of this. This is not something that is unsalvageable. It's going to be, I think that once you make that first post and get back into it, it's going to feel like you never left and you are going to be like, oh my God, why was I so worried about this? Your engagement is going to go back up. You can definitely, definitely recoup it back to where it was. And I think that it won't take as long as you're thinking that it will. So yeah. Next question says, hi, I just want to ask, is there any significant struggles and challenges I should keep in mind for starting a VA business if I live outside of the U.S. and is it still possible for me to thrive and stand out online? How do I overcome it? Thanks. You're so amazing. You're so amazing. Thank you. Um, I would say that I've had many, many, many students in DCA and in the master class from, I would, I mean, dozens and dozens of different countries all over the world. So yes, it is 100% possible for you to have a thriving business and stand out no matter where you are in the world. Um, and I really don't, I would say the only disadvantages to it is um, that for one thing, a time difference. If there's a time difference between you and your clients, then that's, it's not a disadvantage. It's just different, right? So you're going to, it's going to be something that you have to work around. And even in the US, like we experience this on a small scale. I mean, I am, I, whenever I was a VA, most of my clients were on the West Coast. So we were still dealing with that three hour time difference. Um, And it really was never a big deal. I have had plenty of students in like the UK, for example, who have a majority of their clients in the US and they're dealing with like a five to six hour time difference. So it's just a matter of communicating. And honestly, sometimes a time difference can work in your favor because you're able to get like a lot of work done before your client (laughs) even wakes up. So sometimes it, it truly does work in your favor. So that's the only thing that I would say could be viewed as a disadvantage. Um, also, there are going to be differences in terms of legalities. So, you know, for example, registering your business in the U.S. is a little bit different than registering it in the U.K. But again, it's not a disadvantage. It's just different. Um, so most of the things are the same concept, they just may be called different things. So an LLC in the US is usually going to be called something different in another country, but the concept is the same. So I would say that those are the only things they're going to really experience. Um, Another one I would say is, you know, invoicing clients. You're going to have a, you know, currency difference, but again, that can work in your advantage, to be honest. That's why a lot of people in Canada like to have U.S. clients. Um, And there's a platform called Wave Apps, W-A-V-E Apps, A-P-P-S, that um, allows you to invoice or, uh, yeah, invoice internationally. Stripe allows you to invoice internationally. PayPal does. So it's really not a big deal. Like I said, it's just different. So there's no disadvantages. In my opinion, it's just going to be some differences. Differences, not disadvantages. (laughs) Okay, next we have, what do you think about virtual assistant businesses that have names that don't include the person's name? Is that cool or should it include the person's name? Usually I'm a fan of just using your name because of the fact that it can grow with you no matter what. Um, 
But at the same time, if you kind of have plans to turn it into something more eventually, like you're in your head, you're like, I know eventually I want to have an agency or I want to kind of venture out in different ways. And I've been like obsessed with this brand name and I've always wanted to name a business this, then go for it. There's nothing wrong with doing that as long as people know who you are and you're still kind of at the forefront of it if you are, you know, um, working by yourself within the business. Both of them are totally fine. I would just avoid putting what you do in your uh, handle. So, for example, you wouldn't want your handle to be like Jessica Hawks VA because look at what happened. I'm not a VA anymore and it just wouldn't make sense. And it's not as, um, it doesn't hold as much authority as just my name does, in my opinion. So I would keep that in mind. Um, but outside of that, if you want to choose like a business name, like, I don't know, uh, <laughs> Teddy Studios, <laughs> uh, I'm going to coin that now, but yeah, Teddy Studios and you just love it and you've, you just want it to be something that you love, right? You don't want it to be something that you're going to change five times because that can get really confusing to people. Um, your name doesn't really change outside of getting married or something like that. And even now, like I'm married, I haven't changed my last name. It's still my Instagram handle, all that stuff. So, um, and even if you do legally change your last name, you could still have your business under your, uh, your business name under your maiden name or something like that. So I would, I would just keep that in mind. Your name is not really going to change very much and you're stuck with it. So that's always a safe route to take. But again, there's also nothing wrong with having a brand name. I would just make sure that you're sure about it before you go into it. All right, we also have someone who said, really worried about restarting my business Instagram slash TikTok after a long break. Worried all my followers will have forgotten about me and or be not be shown my content and my engagement will be zero. How many posts should I put up at once before or when restarting marketing? Should I start full out posting lots of content to get back in the swing of things? Thanks and sorry for venting all the feels. Do not be sorry. That's what I'm here for. Um, so I think this is super, super similar to the question I answered about this uh, earlier in this episode. So I think that a lot of that's going to apply to you. Uh, I think the only difference here is your question about how many posts should I put up at once when restarting marketing. I would, don't go crazy with it. I wouldn't say like post two times a day on Instagram and five times a day on TikTok, but I would be consistent. So if I, if this was me and I was, you know, had taken a month break or something like that, three months break, I would just be consistent. So I would probably post a little bit more than I normally would. So I would focus probably on, um, let's say two posts a day, if you can on TikTok and maybe three to four posts a week, three to five posts a week, just to kind of start building things up on Instagram. And I would make at least at least two to three of those reels. So that's, and show up on your stories a lot. Your stories are going to help big time. So that's the, that's the approach I would take. I would do that, you know, get, get the momentum going and then you can kind of back off a little bit. I mean, obviously it's always great if you can like keep that up, especially on something like TikTok. They want you to post. The more you can keep people on their app, the more they love you. So yeah, I would, you know, at least start out with that and then you can pull back a little bit so that you don't burn out from creating so much content. Okay, next we have 
someone who says, I honestly feel lost. I started this business excited and ready to be my own boss, but now I'm questioning literally everything. I wanted to work with photographers, but I'm finding they need a lot of social media help. I love the social media world, but I'm finding that I'm starting to hate it when I work on others' social media accounts. I don't know if I need to find another niche or just stop offering social media management, but then I feel like I'll lose out on clients. I don't mind giving ideas or prompts slash templates for them to post, but I'm hating doing the actual posting. How can I figure this out or figure out a good way to maybe cut down on the social media management that I offer, but still make it worth it? The best way to offer templates slash ideas without having to post for them? Great question. Um, I know you're feeling lost, but this is totally, this is a very, very common scenario and the there's, there's ways to figure this out. So I hope that kind of eases your feelings a bit. Um, I also, you know, I love the social media world as well. I did not like doing it for my clients. Uh, my clients were mostly photographers and they were totally fine with that. I was helping them with other things like Pinterest management, um, uh, I almost said social media management, email marketing, launching courses and presets, things like that. So don't feel like you can't work in that niche without offering that. So a few things here. Um, I did for a couple of clients work I did for a couple of clients still do social media management because I still just wanted to work with them. And I was like, I mean, I'll do it. Um, And then I also did work in kind of the strategist role for one of my clients. So they would mostly do the posting, but I would come up with the ideas for them and kind of create a like content plan for the month. So you can always offer that a more of a content strategist role versus being the actual implementer. So that's always an option. Um, the good thing about working with photographers is that it's that their content's pretty self-explanatory, right? Like they have a plethora of content because they're photographers. And so you're not really having to make as many like graphics or do a bunch of long captions or anything like that. You said, I'm hating doing the actual posting. Um, I'm wondering if you mean that literally, like you hate just actually posting the thing for them. You can always in that scenario, um, you know, use something like an auto post. I mean, Instagram is creating their own scheduler within the app. It, I don't know when it's going to roll out exactly, who knows, but that is a feature that's coming. So that could be super helpful for you if it's literally just the actual posting of the post that you're not liking. Another option that you could do is you could outsource that. So you could still take on those clients, but you could bring on a VA onto your team that you're paying hourly to just help you with some small tasks like posting for them or doing those social media tasks that you don't like as much. Um, That's always an option and it's a great way for you to keep those clients, continue to scale and have, you know, extra hands on deck to do the tasks that take up your time that you just don't really enjoy that much. Another option is you could always phase that out. You could just not offer that and really hone in on other types of marketing services like Pinterest, like blogging, like email marketing, and that be your main focus because those are still very, very, very in demand within that niche. So don't feel like people aren't going to work with you just because you don't offer that. But I honestly think your best route would be considering bringing on some help, just a VA for a couple of hours a week to take over that aspect of things for you. That way you can work in a higher role where you're doing the things you enjoy, like giving the, like creating the ideas, creating a content strategy, and then, you know, implementing it where you enjoy doing it, but then 
handing over those tasks, like the actual posting of the post to a VA that's working with you. And that's also, I mean, that's going to be helpful for you far into the future because it eventually, if you, you know, bring someone else onto your team, eventually you're going to be able to take on more clients and have that VA, you know, helping out with tasks, helping out with the workload so that you're able to take on more clients, start to build your income and really start to scale your business. So I think that would be the best route for you. That's something I would consider first and foremost if you're open to doing that. Um, But yeah, don't freak out. I don't think there's any need for you to completely pivot your niche right now by any means, Um, especially if you enjoy working with photographers and you already have clients. I don't think that there's a need to rush into pivoting just because of this one social media aspect, because it can be worked around in many, many ways, like the ones that I just mentioned. So yeah, don't rush don't make hasty decisions now. But yeah, uh, those are that's the route I would take. The first thing, if this was me, I would likely um I would likely just bring someone else on the team because you really have to think about like well, I would I would do some self-evaluation here and think what do I want for my business? What do I want it to look like 6 months from now? Do you love working with photographers? Like you have to look inwardly and think about those things. Are you passionate about working with photographers? If you are, then it's probably the best niche for you because if you pivot and you're in a niche that you don't really love, but you just don't want to do social media management, you're still going to struggle because you're not feeling the passion for that niche. So you're going to have to look at things like that and really think objectively about what you want for your business and then create Then start implementing the tangible things that help get you there, like bringing on a team member or like, you know, limiting to only offering like content strategy with clients. I will also say, you know, with certain clients there, you probably are going to end up doing certain things that you don't 100% love doing because you love working with the client. There were some, you know, clients I had where there were certain tasks I did for them that I didn't love doing, but I loved working with them as a client. And, you know, so I did it because I knew it was going to help me grow. I knew it was going to help my business grow. And I was overall happy working with them because I loved them as my client. So that's something else that I would keep in mind. I think that we often, you know, hear in the online space that you should never, never work with clients, that you aren't 100% doing everything you love with, and that you should never offer a service that you don't 100% love. And while there's truth to that, there's also also a lot to say about being flexible and kind of bending a little bit in certain situations because owning your own business is not black and white. And even now, I mean, if I, there's certain things I have to do within my business that I don't love doing, but I love my business. So I do it. I guess this is kind of like having a baby and having to clean up whenever it smears crap all over its bed in the middle of the night and you're like hate doing this love my child um I guess a better example for me would have been when Teddy like vomits in the middle of the night on the carpet and I'm like kill me now but I'm like oh but I love him so much it's not his fault so I would think kind of more big picture about the fact that you're sometimes gonna have to bend a little and you have to find the balance of you know when am I going to bend? You have to find the balance of, is this bend going to help me further my business? Because, you know, again, even like I said, as a VA, there were things that I did where I was kind of, um, I guess, over giving 
a little bit to my clients are really going the extra mile all the time. And in the moment, there are certain people who would have told me, you shouldn't be doing that. Like you shouldn't be going a little bit over your hours with your clients or you shouldn't be responding to them at 8 p.m. or whatever. And I didn't always do that. But when I did, I was doing it because I could see the big picture of where I'm at right now, where I have way more control of my schedule and I pretty much only answer to myself. So think about the big picture not just the short term, because if you can, you know, even if you don't bring on a team member, if you can, if you can work and do it and scale your business and keep going, you're going to eventually get to the point where you're so in demand, you have so much experience and you're so stand out that people are going to be racing to work with you, whether you offer social media management services or not, you know? Um, okay. I, I'm, I'm actually surprised. I think I pretty much got through almost all of these, um, actual questions. I'm just double checking, but yeah, I think I, I think I did it. Let me, let me just double check. Okay. Yeah. I think I got to all of them. Um, the last one that I want to read is from Rochelle again. Rochelle was in DCA. I love you, Rochelle. She said, I just love you. I've been re-listening to your podcast and discovering how lucky it was that I had you as my coach because of your genuine heart. You're a hard worker and have a business mindset, but you also have personal conviction. And I always feel inspired and proud to have interacted with you. Ugh, this message. I'm going to like print this out and hang it on my wall. <laughs> This is so sweet. I, whenever I tell you the DCA is just the best community and the best students. And it's just like, you know, when you're just like, these are just genuinely really good people. That is how I feel about the students in DCA. And Rochelle, you are amazing. You were such a support to people in DCA, the other students, and you were so vulnerable and just such a great example of, you know, what being fully committed to the process looks like and how far it can get you. And I am also just very proud and happy to have been able to interact with you too. So little shout out to Rochelle. You're the best, but, ah, well, I think that about does it. I'm shocked. I was so, so convinced I was going to have to make this two parts, but, um, I think that I, like I said, I kept the tangents to a bit of a minimum and I am, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I was able to get to all of those because it was a lot of questions, or at least it looked like way more <laughs> than when I actually started going through them. But if I missed, I don't think I missed any. If I did miss any, um, shoot me a DM and let me know if I missed something, but I don't think I did. If I did, just DM me and I will answer you in there. But these were a lot of really, really great questions and a lot of great talking points. So thank you so much to everyone who actually filled out the form and, you know, utilized it. I I love doing these anonymous forum episodes. So I'm definitely going to be bringing it back for season six if you didn't get a chance to ask your question here. But I also, of course, do... Um, Q and A's on my story every week as well. So you can always drop questions there too, but thank you so much to everyone who is listening, who has listened. Um, I'm filming this on the eight or recording this on the 18th. Last night was the Vanderpump rules finale. And that was wild. I'm actually, I'm going to talk about that on next week's episode on the closing episode. Cause I, I feel like I have a lot to say about it. Um, and uh, this episode's already an hour long and my throat hurts. <laughs> 
but yeah i'm gonna talk about that on next week's episode if anyone's keeping up with all the drama which oh my god i don't know how you couldn't be if you are on social media at all but yeah thank you so much for listening as usual and i will talk to you all next week Thank you for listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast. I am your host, Jessica Hawks, and I am so happy to have you here. Follow along with us on Instagram at the Digital State of Mind so that we can stay connected with you and get your feedback on what you want to hear on the show. I know everyone says this, but we're serious, okay? <laughs> Talk to you next time.